0: Is one thirty-seven PM. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports.
1: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, February twenty-second. It is around one thirty-seven PM here in San Diego, California. That's freaking crazy. Okay, so this week for the podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're officially at like the three-month mark of the podcast, and man, it. Has gone incredible. So one big thanks to all the listeners, subscribers, watchers, viewers, everyone. If you've, if you've liked, if you've commented, if you've supported in any way, thank you. If you swiped up on an Instagram story, thank you. Like, at the end of the day, that you guys are what it's about. It's about providing valuable, digestible, consumable conversations for you guys. You know, the fight game's weird. And if I can make it not so weird for people, then that would be awesome. And that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to make it digestible and consumable for everyday people. And it's been great, guys. It's been really, really great so far. So thank you. Thank you to my incredible teammates. Holy crap. Like one thirty seven p.m. Is a, is, a, is a team full of gangsters, a team full of superstars. So whether it's Emily, whether it's Brandon, whether it's my boss, Tyler, they've given me creative control, creative freedom. They've added in their input, they've suggested things, we have it's been incredible, it's seriously been amazing, I could not do any of this without them, and I'll never forget that, I don't take them for granted, I'm very appreciative of what they do, and then last but not least, the freaking guests, man, we've had some incredible guest appearances, we've had former UFC champs, we've had all-time greats, hall of famers, And we're three months into this thing. So I got big hopes for the future. I have high expectations. I think we're on the right track. And I think this is the start of something big. So without further ado, this week on In the Fight with Bo Templin, my top five favorite moments of the podcast so far.
2: Uh, at the end of the year final card of the year um 2020 has been a crazy year for everybody so I just feel like I wanted to get in there and stay busy
1: so I want to let you know this my dad is a Milwaukee guy born and raised Milwaukee I've although I'm I'm San Diego born and raised I've been to Milwaukee 16 17 18 times in my life I got a love for the city my dad went to high school at Pius oh man my little brother went to Pius Right down the street from Rufus Sport. And I was a senior in high school. I was like getting into sports broadcasting and I stopped by Rufus Sport just to see if I could talk to anyone. Of course, no, because that's not how this works. (laughs) But I wanted to. I knew that like, oh, shit, the, the champs are there. And so I had to tell you, quick question here. What is the better cheap day meal? Is it cops or is it Gillies? Chops,
2: cops all day. I mean, uh, Le- have you been to Leon's? Yes, I have. So Leon's is a staple in, in this in the city, bro. So Leon's is probably the best cheat meal day. But Cops, if you're going for burgers and stuff, yeah, Cops is Cops is good.
1: How often is the uh, is the cheat day for you nowadays? Now that you're in welterweight, man, honestly, like it's crazy. Like now that I'm in the higher weight class, I don't
2: crave food as much. You know, you're not like, you're, wow. not, you're not trying to do these cheat meals. You're not trying to like, it, it's it's like it's it's accessible to you. So I guess you don't really want it. So that's uh, yeah, crazy how that works. But. um I've been eating way more clean these these 170 camps than I have for my 155 camps. I was actually on my way back down to 155 before this fight popped up, and uh, you know, I had an opportunity to stay busy, so I'd take it.
1: Can I ask if there was a name involved in that 55 fight?
2: Uh, no, there wasn't yet. You know, I was, okay.
1: getting, I was just getting down to the weight
2: class. I, I wanted to do this this time of my career right. You know, I feel like I've been rushing a lot of stuff and uh, trying to fight the biggest names and the biggest the biggest fights. And I really haven't thought about, you know, what makes me healthy, what's the best decision for me. And that's what I've been doing recently. Like, let's, let's take my time with this, build back up. I'm still only 33 years old in this game, you know, so I've, I've been, I grew up under these these lights. You know, I've, I've. 10 years ago was the Showtime, you know, kick anniversary to this day. And, uh, you know, it's crazy to think about how long I've been in this game for and, you know, how much more I still have to
1: do. You brought up the Showtime kick. And, like, I know you've been asked about it a million fucking times in your life. So I didn't want to ask, like, you know, is this something you practice before, or anything like that? And I know you talked about it with Ariel yesterday, but if you're and you said that it's a state of flow thing, right? That's where you hit yeah. that move completely state of flow. But I wanted to know if you're reaching that in a fight. There, may, that means you must have pulled off some crazy shit during practice at one point or another. What tease me? Give me a little something on a move you've pulled off in a fight that kind of mirrors, or pulled off in a practice that mirrors what we saw in the Showtime kick. Man, honestly, all
2: this stuff off the cage. I feel, I feel like no athlete has used the cage the way I've used it yet. Even the Wonderboy knockout, you know, yep. you stand off the cage the way I did with that Superman punch. Um, I have a lot of those moves that just, I haven't had the opportunity to throw them in fights yet. And maybe it's like, it is the flow thing, you know, like when you get self-conscious or you're aware of like a guy that has good wrestling, and you now you limit your abilities because of what your opponent's good at. So I'm kind of getting out of that mindset of like giving my opponent too much credit. Like custom model, uh, Mike Tyson's coach has a great saying, everybody has a plan until you hit in the face or like, you know, you, you, you give your opponent so much credit and ability before the fight. Then you get in and hit him with the first punch. i like, man, this guy's human. Um, I'm kind of going with that mindset into these, into these fights now. Like, what what am I good at? How do how do I build off of my strengths and um, and not limit myself to my opponent's strength? What pushes you? It's I want to collect scalps. Uh, I want the best names. Uh, I want the I want to win
1: championships. Become. I don't want to just beat these guys. I want to embarrass them. I want to knock them out. Like, I want them leaving in stretchers. Uh, I want to reign as the king, and I want to be known as one of the baddest dudes that ever played the game. Let's fucking go, Corey. (laughs) Are you serious right now?
0: Sorry, the other um, answer I would say (laughs) is I did a video of Khabib Nurmagomedov fighting a bear when he was nine years old. I've seen it Yeah Vert to the double leg And now he will look To pass to mount Young Habib Looking to pass to mount But hey How about this Awesome The bear With the high Rotating underhook And the outside knee tap Classic George St. Pierre Takedown Beautifully executed By bear But Habib Would get it back Here he will scoop From the elbow And rotate himself All the way around Now trying to hit that switch With the deep reach in here Continue the rotation Bring that leg To his sternum and complete the single leg. Yeah, and that one, all of a sudden, like a million people had watched it, and uh, and like I was like a million. Like my television job, if if ten thousand people watched it, we thought that was good ratings. A million humans watched this. This is the answer. The 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 answer is get better every single day, and then keep bringing it to people. And if it's, eventually you'll be skilled enough, you'll be passionate enough, you'll be good enough, you'll have something to offer, and
1: you'll have made enough that they'll find it. I love that video of your breakdown with Khabib and the Bear because – and actually, Daniel Cormier has said this. He he explains it to people. You can be a very good wrestler. You could be a Division I SEC Oklahoma State wrestler, but there's a difference between that and what Habib has done in his career, and it only comes from a lifetime of training. Yeah and yeah. I think in that video your breakdown shows at at we're talking 8 9 yeah. 10 years old habib with actual tactics he's using yeah. actual tactics leverage to take yeah. down this yeah. bear and you demonstrate that beautifully but that's also evidence of that lifetime of wrestling that yes. he explains
0: so and there's a number of things there one is the when you're sh- so my root thing was, look what Khabib has done. Look, he, he's done it from the time he was a child. Two is you got to, like, allow yourself, if you're a creative, if you're an artist, to, to let it be more. And I was, on one hand, we're just like, that kid's wrestling a bear. So that element has to also be in there, like or, or you can put it in there at the very least. And then on the other one, what was mind-blowing, and this is that sense of what I was learning, the bear was also using tactics. And that element, and that element immediately opens up a whole new line of thinking. And, and now you get to study that. You're like, why does a bear know how to quote, know how to wrestle? And the answer is a bear doesn't know how to wrestle. A bear learns fundamental principles of leverage through play that lesson applies to me and you and everybody else in our own learning you don't have to learn a particular way nobody taught that bear the knee tap to the high underarm like like george st pierre uses and i and if i had the footage i would have literally side by side george st pierre doing the exact tactic that that bear did the truth is that bear learned it through instinct george st pierre learned it Through a different manner, but we learn in ways. And all of a sudden, now that's not a video about a kid wrestling a bear. It's not a video about a wrestler. It's not a video on a bear, but a bear. It's a video about learning and life. And once you can get yourself, and the only way you get yourself there is the same way Khabib learned to wrestle: is you do tens of thousands of them. You do it in such a way that you feel these things in your skin and your blood. There is no substitute. For for ruthless and relentless hard work, um, the best plan and 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 editing software and whatever will never be a substitute for relentless hard work, uh, because once you do that, now you see so many different things in that moment.
1: You mentioned that um, that youthful uh, playfulness in in the bear, and that's where they learned. They talk about that also, though, in Southeast Asia with Muay Thai a little bit that when they spar or maybe with I believe it's in Cuba as well, that when they spar, it's not intense. It's actually Mm -hmm. very playful. Mm -hmm. And do you think those same elements apply to what's going on in Southeast Asia with their Muay Thai as to what you're talking about with that bear or a lion or any creature in the wild? Yeah.
0: Yes. And I think it applies to us when we're doing whatever we do.
3: We're doing this what now. We're, we're having right now, a little fun.
0: We're we're experimenting. We're not yes. overly intense. We don't have a list of things we have to talk about. We're not trying certain tactics and techniques. We're playing. We're we're jamming, we're improvising, and and. Uh...
1: Demetrius, you reached a outrageous level of success in mixed martial arts to the point almost that few other athletes are really able to tackle and that's when the conversation becomes is there anyone who can compete with them he's so good that it's boring all those things were said when you were you know fighting i guess in the flyweight division over at the ufc and and now you're making the leap to 135 completely correct
3: yeah, at one championship, there's no weight cutting. So I fight at 135, which is their hydrated flyweight division.
1: Cool. Perfect. And hence the same name for the flyweight division uh, for 125 in the UFC. Flyweight over in one championship is 135. But you've reached that pinnacle when you hear not even necessarily about yourself, but maybe it's with another athlete. He's so good. It's boring. What, what does that mean to you?
3: You know, it, it doesn't mean anything to me because at the end of the day, I just read the interview. Um, I Have you ever heard of the athlete named Spencer Fisher?
1: I was going to ask you about this exact article.
3: <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the day, Spencer Fisher, uh great athlete. I, I watched him. Uh, fight growing up, I actually trained with him when he came to A- AMC Big Grecian, uh when he's getting his first uh, fights in UFC. And you look at that, and he went out there and he competed and he did very well. And he was also in some wars. And for me, uh, you know, I in wars. I want to go out there and, and do my best to stay above the the division, stay above my competition, not take damage in when I'm competing because of the day I'm going to retire. I am not going to be. Fighting for the rest of my life, and when I'm done, when I'm done, and I and I retire, I don't want to have CT, I don't have concussions, I don't want to have anything. I want to be able to read a book, obtain that knowledge, be able to apply what I read from the book, and be able to utilize my brain for the last seventy to eighty years of my life. So for me, when people are like, "Oh, he's born," I was like, "Stop my fault. I'm going to stand there, and bang, and give you blood." What you want? That's not my, my problem. If you want blood and you want to see some, you know, some craziness of just some crazy ass take your ass to your local bar, have five beers, tell the guy next to you that he's a bitch and then have at it. And then when you get to the police station, you can look at your, you know, the recording.
1: Um, one of my kind of like mantras, I guess when it comes to like covering and mixed martial arts a little bit is that I'm not a fighter myself, right? I'm not the one in the cage getting hit in the face with four ounce gloves. I'm not the one eating a knee in the nose Why am I the one that should be, you know, the couch coaches, right? The people who are sitting at home tweeting, man, Demetrius Johnson should be standing in there banging a little bit more. It it drives me crazy, but I did start sparring at the local boxing gym two weeks ago. So I'm just kind of getting into that world, knowing that you're so conscious and aware of the damage that you're taking in. How safe am I doing this?
3: Well, you're safe obviously if you go with people who are at the same level you are and you're going with people who respect respect you and respect the level that you're at then you're totally safe you know i've been training mixed martial arts for 13 i mean what 13 14 years i think now and i haven't had any i've never been knocked out never had any concussions from training um and i don't even wear a headgear in the gym That's just because we know what we are doing, right? Like when you've been in the sport for so long, it's not about going in the gym and having these wars and banging your body and and just having these wars. It's about, I'm an athlete. This is how I make my money. Let's get my body in the best shape physically possible. Make sure my tools are sharp. That way I can make it tight. So if you had that mindset, then you train in the gym, especially not being a professional athlete, you
1: are totally safe. Um, With the no headgear thing that you just mentioned, I am curious, is that because you don't like the reduced vision or is it because of the larger target um, that the headgear might bring? Sometimes there's like people who say that, you know, you're going to eat an extra punch or two per round because the headgear is just naturally a larger target for your opponent to hit. Is, Is it one of those two reasons or is it something else?
3: My personal opinion, I don't like how it gives you a false sense of security, right? It gives you a false sense of security that it's okay shot and for me i've never i've never worn it uh just for that aspect of, of itself like i've worn it a couple of times when i spar and i get hit I, i'm like comfortable to sit up get hit way more my head gear off and i'm like fuck, i gotta hit it because i stood there and just started banging um but when you have no head gear on you're like okay i have no head gear on i have no protection just like in a real fight Let's 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 pretend. Let's let's spar like I am sparring in a fight, right? And so, time. You know, when it's boxing, you're constantly getting hit in the head over and over and over and over again. So it makes sense for those guys who are hit gear. But for mixed martial arts, we're not. You know, we have the legs or the liver. You have, you know, the muay thai clinch. There's so many more things that are available for you know the athletes to be able to get hit at.
1: hear what you're saying with that like cognitive functioning dynamic i never knew that about the brain so i appreciate you telling me that you've said that the anthony pettis fight was kind of like an alarm clock moment for you and you said that you know i shouldn't be getting tapped out by strikers right and you know showtime's the man so like it's it's not about showtime but in that fight in between the first and second round you go back to your corner you're sitting on your stool and a coach goes, yo, you're using too much adrenaline right now. You're not using your energy. You're using adrenaline right now. Could you kind of give maybe just like insight as to what he's exactly saying and what the difference is in adrenaline energy versus like your energy?
4: Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a weird time for me. Um, very trying year. 2018 was challenging. You know, I missed weight for that fight. I'm uh, just off the bat, just that alone. I'm already out of my element. Um, you know, backstage, I'm like, you know, when I, when I'm backstage in the locker room, I'm, I'm very game, I'm very sharp, you know, I'm having a laugh here and there, but for the most part, I'm like, I'm really, you can tell I'm getting in the zone. I'm very focused. And I was just saying some very weird stuff and uh, I, I can't really explain it, but like my corner men were like, dude, we were all worried. You were saying some really weird things. And it's just like, you know, every single person that I was walking by on the way to the tunnel, I'm like saying hi to and high fiving and like usually I'm like eyes straightforward. I'm fuck fo- I'm very focused on on the task at hand. I'm not really trying to fist bump every person I know that I walk by as I'm getting to the curtain. And and not to mention, we're talking this is the sold-out T-Mobile Arena. Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title. The place is packed. I'm on the main card. I'm fighting Anthony Showtime Pettis, finally a guy I've looked up to for a long time, tremendous fighter, first ballot Hall of Famer, and I just let, I just let everything get the best of me. I like, I just, I was so out of tune with myself, and I just, I when I went into that fight, I just, I, I don't feel like I had, I didn't have my normal energy I do when I when I compete. I, I, I was just kind of leaning on my adrenaline. Like I didn't have, um, you know, I'm not trying to sound corny, but it's like, I didn't have like the Maverick wasn't coming out. Maverick wasn't coming out. You know, that, that's that alter side of me that comes out when I compete, that ferocious competitor, he was nowhere to be found. I was just kind of leaning on my adrenaline and I hate to sound corny, but that's just like the best way I can put it in perspective. I didn't have that, that other side of me wasn't coming out. So I'm just kind of leaning on my adrenaline and, and that's not a good thing to do because that bleeds out real fast. You can only use so much adrenaline in a fight. And, um, you know, and Anthony's a hell of a fighter. He read me like a book. He saw that I was just unloading through that first round. And I mean, the, he, he, he taught me a lot of lessons that night and I'm very thankful for it. And when I'm saying I got submitted by a striker, I'm not trying to like, sometimes that, that might sound a little bad, but that's actually me giving him a ton of credit. Like, this guy's known for his elite striking. And I've been saying it in interviews leading up to the fight that I think, borderline, he's a better grappler than he is a striker. We've seen him submit Gilbert Melendez. We've seen some amazing grappling exchanges he had with Benson Henderson. in his fight is highlighted by the Showtime Kick, you know? So I, I, I give him a lot of credit in the grappling department. But at the end of the day, that's what I'm best at. And I went out there, leaned on my adrenaline, got submitted by a striker and just learned a lot of hard valuable lessons i'm in the wrong weight class i need to be more humble i need to be myself i i you know anthony anthony served me a nice cold plate of humble pie and uh it's probably the most fulfilling meal i've ever had in my life because it, i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that i wouldn't be here if, if anthony pettis wouldn't have caught me with that triangle arm bar so you know at the end of the day i
1: i have a certain level of gratitude that that happened MMA has a, not even just MMA, I guess sports, but combat sports in general, man, there's nothing like that balance of, of humility and confidence because you know, what, what makes so many of these fighters so great is that confidence. You know, you think about the McGregor walk, you think about guys who appear stone cold killers, but at the same time, you only get there. If you're facing that humility in the gym, you're losing rounds you know, Floyd Mayweather says, you know, I've never lost a fight, but that's because I lose rounds at at the gym and I want to keep it that way. So MMA is a funny game like that, man. Sometimes I mean, there's a good chance you don't even go on this win streak that you're on without that moment in your life as a catalyst to really move you forward. Oh, hundred percent. I say that all the time. It's, uh, this sport,
4: you don't learn from your losses. Like if you're, if you're if you are if you if you if you're savvy enough you'll win a fight and you'll pick yourself apart to where you don't get too high on the wins and you'll find things to work on but when you lose there's always something glaring that stands out or a few things that really stand out that make you look at the big picture and be like, gosh dang like dude, there's a lot of things I could have done better so uh you know I'm thankful for that moment i wouldn't be here on a 4 or 5 win streak back in the top 10 at, at 170 pounds had i not learned that lesson from anthony so uh, you know, i countless times I've expressed my gratitude for what I experienced that night um, when I shared the octagon with him. And, you know, he's on to great things in his career. I'm excited to see him fight in the PFL. I think it's going to do great things for the sport. And uh, he's a pioneer, man. It's uh, those lessons that you learn, you want to lose them to guys like Anthony Pettis.
0: This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.